David Magnuson, who has scooped so much snow this winter. And so, David, you are at home uh, with your wonderful family. Um, you usually come at night, but if you're listening to this, uh, this whole congregation is very thankful for you. Um, and I would like to give you a round of applause. So can we do that for David? Oh, uh, Children's, uh, we, we also failed to announce that Children's Church is happening. The, the Patrices, I think, are, are uh, back here. So if you um, have children that are Children's Church age, uh, you're welcome to exit this door um, and retrieve them once the service is over. Um, I am so grateful to be here with you guys. Uh, this is something that Christians have done for centuries. We get together and we worship together by uh, looking at God's word. And part of how we do that is through the preaching, the reading and preaching of the word. And Revelation says that even if you hear the book of Revelation read, you are already blessed. And so um, you're about to be blessed by hearing uh, scripture. And this is, you know, we've been into, in some hard passages in Revelation up till now. And uh, this is a good one. It's like they're all good. But this one's like, oh, it's the other side of the coin um, of judgment. This is this is what heaven is going to be like. And so we're in Revelation 19 uh, verses 6 through 10. And then we're going to skip over to the very end of Revelation chapter 22. I'm going to read a couple of verses from there. So this is uh, after the fall of Babylon. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage supper of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these words are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then in chapter 22, verses 16 and 17 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires to take water, the water of life without price. That's God's word to you. One of our practices is to uh, sit in silence just for a little bit before I pray. And that's to remind us that we're engaging in the spiritual realm. What Brian said is true. It's very hard for us to remember that a spiritual realm, A, exists, but B, is actually more real and eternal than what we know right now. And so that's why when we pray, uh, it's a serious thing. And I don't want you to um, not pray with me. And so silently engage with God with me right now before I, I preach. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask that as that eternal love that existed within your person from all eternity um, has been made manifest in the world from the creation to the fall 
to the redemption in your son. And now as we think about um, glory, the, the restoration and renewal of all things at this great marriage supper of the feast, uh, that you would remind us that this is our future, that this is our destiny, um, and that, that this is going to be uh, the thing that clicks everything into place for our hearts, for this world. And Lord, let us never forget that all that, that goes on in the world is, is far more spiritual than we want to recognize. Um, we're so easily deceived by what we see. And so, Lord, you constantly tell us, especially in this passage, my words are true. Uh, what I speak through my son is eternal and it's true and it's right. And so, Lord, help us to believe that by the spirit. Um, help us to come into ourselves as your future bride today. A little bit closer in Christ's name. Amen. Um, again, so the past two weeks, we've been saying the other side of salvation is, is judgment. Uh, and we looked at that judgment over the past couple of weeks. And this week, we're going to start, essentially, we're going to start a series through uh, the rest of Revelation where we're going to look at the end of the world. Uh, and we're going to look at what it means to um, experience heaven, experience the new creation, experience the new city that is the new Jerusalem. And today we see the reverse of that terror of judgment beginning with this thing called the marriage supper of the lamb. And I got to be honest, this is one of the most beautiful images that we have in all of scripture. It's a picture of eternal ecstasy and pleasure uh, and joy that's unparalleled to anything you've ever experienced in, in your life. Um, I have a dear friend who is an alcoholic who lives in a different state. And one time she said when she was describing how she fell into alcoholism, she said, you know, I always loved uh, going out with my friends. And I would find myself after I got back home uh, wanting to keep the party going. And so I would have another drink by myself and then another. And she said that bled into me doing that on weeknights. And I, I was always thinking about, I just want to keep the party going. And it was coming from, her desire was coming from uh, what God offers in this marriage supper of the land. That her idolatry, even in her idolatry and addiction, she was looking for God. Christianity says that at the end of time, there is a party that will never end. And it will go on and on. And the next day will be better than the previous day. Christianity is not just about stopping certain behaviors, but it is celebration and intimacy with your creator. As your spouse, that's the picture here. It's one of the most ancient themes in all of Scripture. The marriage supper of the Lamb is this great cosmic wedding. Um, now, this image was giving, given to the seven churches that John was writing to who were asking questions like, how can I make it as a witness of Jesus in this world when it's so broken, when it's so hard? Uh, how can, maybe you're asking questions like this yourself. How can I have faith when everything around me, inside and out, outside the church, is so divided and is so difficult to endure? And here's the image today of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that you celebrate with God 
and you are intimate with God in the midst of suffering or you will not make it. You won't make it to the end. If you don't know authentic, relational joy and pleasure with your creator. And that's what we're going to look at today. What does it mean to celebrate with God? And what does it mean to have actual intimacy with him right now? So uh, look at verse 7 in chapter 19. It says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. Now what is the marriage supper of the Lamb? Uh, This was always the plan. Before God created the world, uh, this is one of the main themes throughout all of Scripture. Uh, Whenever I officiate weddings, I always say the world begins with a wedding in the Garden of Eden and will end in one where uh, heaven comes back down to earth and is united in this great feast that God's going to throw for us. It connects this this marriage supper connects themes like the Passover meal in the Old Testament, the bridegroom imagery and the prophets, which we read in the call to worship with Thomas and the last supper that Jesus has with his, his disciples. And when Mary anointed his feet with that precious ointment, what he was showing the world, what Jesus is saying in all of this, what scripture has always been saying is that this is what it's going to take for God to celebrate and party with his people. He's going to have to come into the world and die so that he can be married to us. Now, think about this. Um, That means that God encoded the world, which would include you since you are his creation. He encoded you uh, for celebration. He encoded you for joy. Uh, Ultimately, joy in your union with him and your connection with him. Uh, The first miracle that John uh, says that Jesus did in his gospel, he said, as a sign to show you what I'm like, I'm going to produce an enormous amount of wine to reignite this wedding party that was dying. And the reason why is because at the heart of God, what he wants you to see is that he absolutely delights in you and wants to pour joy into you and pour joy into this world so much so that and Zephaniah says he wants to sing over you, that you make his heart so happy. That's what the party's about. Like he can't help himself when he sees you. Uh, I went to uh, the most memorable conference I've ever been to. It was a Christian conference called Heaven and Laughter. It was almost 20 years ago, um, and I don't really remember anything that was taught, but what I, I do remember was eating at the cafeteria, and I walked from the cafeteria back to the cabin where we were staying, and I had this experience where everything about God, uh, everything about the spiritual realm uh, seemed and felt true in that moment. And I have never been able to get over it. I I cannot, uh, I I can't stop thinking about it 20 years later. And it only lasted about 30 seconds. It still stands out to me as something so real and powerful that I can't shake it off as a delusion. And I think what was happening is that God was letting me experience just just like a little glimpse of, of his delight in me 
and his sovereign care of the world and that things are going to be okay. Um, this is paraphrasing one of my favorite authors. Her name is Flannery O'Connor. Back in the 1940s, she moved from Savannah, Georgia to Iowa City to become a writer, and she was surrounded by different types of skeptics that she had never spoken to before, and they really questioned her on the fact that a human being could like love God. Like that's, that's the theme of Christianity. That's, they, they thought it was pretty preposterous. And so in her prayer book, she's wrestling through this, and she says, she said, it does seem like a foolish thing to actually want God, like that that's my purpose as a human being. But she said, but he made the earth to be his lover. She says, it's almost like I'm a moth trying to act like a king when I think I have that sort of access to God's heart. But I believe it to be true. She says that my my soul, and I'm paraphrasing her, my soul is designed and shaped for God. And she ends her prayer like this. If I could only just always think of him. Now look, uh, I know what life is like right now. I'm in it with y'all. How is this kind of thing going to help these seven churches? How is this kind of thing going to help you endure the things that you've been enduring over this past year and that will continue to endure in 2021? This is how this helps, because if this is your future, this marriage supper, if it's true, then that must mean that every hard thing that you endure right now is helping you get there. It's creating hunger pains for that great dinner. And those who've experienced the most suffering in this life will enjoy that supper more because they're hungrier for it. They yearn for it more. This passage is saying suffering prepares you to be ready to actually enjoy heaven, the heavenly food. Um, If you're assured of that end, now, you know, the Bible talks about hope, not as something that you wish for. But again, we have to remind ourselves of this over and over again. Hope is something more sure than what we experience now. If you're sure of that, you can have faith in the present. And Jesus says in 2216 to these seven churches, I am that bright morning star of the eternal day. So come, come. God wants to be with you like a husband wants to be with his wife on the first night of their wedding. One of the great wonders of the world is to watch a husband's face as his bride walks down the aisle to him. I've gotten to see it right here multiple times. That's the picture of how Jesus looks at you. And the measure at which you believe that will be the measure of joy you have in this life. That his disposition towards you, he's not disgruntled, he's not disappointed, he's enthralled, always. Uh, I have a friend, this, you know, this is the great tragedy in churches in the West, because I think that materialism to a large degree has zapped our joy. I have a friend who is uh, from Columbia, he works on the campus there, 
over across the street, and he said, I was like, what's the main difference between people in Colombia and in the United States? And he's like, oh, people here in the United States are depressed. He's like, you know, in Colombia, people don't have very much, you know, in terms of wealth, but they are so much happier than they are in the United States. And he, I remember it because he said, they're like Hakuna Matata down there. It's like, cool. Um, and here's what I want to like, I, I want to give this to you because I think Jim was right. As we come back into community, you need to think of it as like spring training for uh, becoming, you know, active as a Christian again. But also think of it as like a river, you know, a river <laughs> begins to flow uh, more and more as you practice these things. And what I want to what I want to teach you right now and myself is what it means to have joy again. Colossians tells us to put on Christ. And what that looks like, he says, what it looks like is that with other people in your life, you are to practice compassion, kindness, humility, and you are to forgive the people that you know like you have been forgiven. And Paul says that when you practice these things, you are putting on your wedding garment. You're putting on your future. You are practicing resurrection. You are beautifying yourself for the great wedding day. It is the opposite of idolatry. It's the opposite of addiction, which leaves you hollow afterwards. But holiness is terribly hard at first. It's so difficult, but then there's freedom and joy in doing these things with other people. Verse 8, this is what it means that the bride clothes herself with the fine linens and the righteous deeds of the saints. Christianity is not about doing good things to get God to like you, but Christianity is that God likes me so much already. He's so enamored with me already that my joyful response to that joy that he has in me is that I mimic him in the world. That the way he is towards me, I'm going to be that way towards other people. And it begins to look like life in the world. His body. It looks like heaven on earth. And we get there um, by being compassionate to one another. By forgiving one another. uh, By doing spiritual disciplines that the church has always done. By saying no to our flesh. Look, if if, uh, these things sound like a drag to you, that's not Christianity. Christianity says, I get to do this. And it's like a party. It's a party when I get to forgive you. It's a party when I get to repent. It's a party when somebody forgives me. Because we're practicing our future. Um... It's a very different type of celebration because it's rooted in Jesus. Celebrating with God is active, it's energetic, and it's anticipatory. I am convinced that you you and I can do this. And we will. Secondly, Christianity is about being intimate with God. Verses 6 and 7, you see... uh, these great, this great uh, procession of people just 
gawing over God and they can't get over it. And they're saying, hallelujah for the, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And that, that's the great praise anthem in all of scriptures that he's king. And everything's back in place. And what I want you to see is that when you acknowledge that and when that makes you happy, um, that is how God designed you to function in a relationship with him. And it's the opposite of idolatry. And it's characterized as marital intimacy. You know, if idolatry is adultery in the, in the scriptures, the opposite is what we see here in our passage. That you are, are actually um, pleased by God, intimate with him. Uh, Teresa of Avila uh, wrote about having such pleasure from God once that she asked him to stop because it was too much and too good. And she said, if someone thinks I'm lying, the church made her explain her experiences with God, by the way, which is a whole nother topic. But like she said, if somebody thinks I'm lying about this, what I always do is I pray that they would have that same experience to know it firsthand. Um, John Donne, the great poet, wrote, uh, you know, his, his poem about, about this. He said, God, I want you to enthrall me or I'll never be free unless you ravish me. Three-person God. The promise is that you can be a person that when you accept Jesus' invitation to be his spouse, that you can actually experience uh, intimacy beyond your wildest dreams. Jesus did not sacrifice himself for you to be your roommate. But he calls himself your bridegroom because he will not settle for you just cognitively assenting that he exists. But he wants your heart. And he's coming after it. The best marriages are the ones where there's this sort of mutual giving and receiving from each other, always connected but never aggressively taking from one another. It's another mimicking of the Trinity in the, in the good way. But even in the best marriages in the world, uh, you've never had a spouse that has sacrificed for you quite like Jesus has. And I asked Sarah this week, I was like, what do you think it's going to be like to be around another, um, well, just a man? Um, who is perfectly safe and tender and strong and truthful, never demanding. One line in a song that I really like says that God's all, he's, he's in control, but he's never controlling. He respects all things. And Sarah's like, I don't know what it's going to be like to be around a man like that, but I bet it's wonderful. It's hard to be completely vulnerable in a marriage because we're responding to our life out of our own brokenness. All of us. But Jesus, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He never did anything wrong. And that means that he never had any shame. He was never afraid. And therefore, he can love us completely and intimately and none of us have never known what it's like to be around a person like that 
who's completely safe and, and true and confident and sacrificial all at the same time. This is why abuse with those in authority, when they, when they use their power to get what they want, it is demonic. It's the opposite of how God wanted to rule through people. But Jesus shows us the way back. Even when John is in the orbit of an angel who's talking about Jesus in this way, John like falls down and worships the angel. And this guy's like, man, you've got to get up. Like, I'm like you. Jesus is what you are supposed to be enthralled with. Look, I, I do think, um, I think men can learn from women here. So much. Uh, women seem to have this amazing ability to house and hold pain and pleasure for longer and in more depth than most men. In fact, I think it's frightening to most men to enter that space with women. Larry Crabb uh, said that what men tend to do when a woman invites us into the complexity of their pain and mystery is that we try to offer solutions for it because it just scares us. If you're married, you know that from your husbands. You want to get out of there, you know, and get stuff done. I was talking with Indra about this, and she says, Indra, Indra said, you know, women are, are more process-oriented instead of goal-oriented. Being made ready for Christ is intimacy along the way. Here's what I think Jesus uh, says to us. I think he says to all of us, bring it, all that you are. I know all that you are, and I can take all of it. And I will be careful, Jesus says to you, I will be so careful and kind in the places where you have been most harmed, and I will heal you there. He says, I'll make you come alive in ways you've never known. And you're going to get that life to the world as my body in the world. As my other half, as my image on earth. Uh, when Mary Magdalene poured that nard, that ointment over Jesus' feet before he was crucified... You know, she did that in one of the most vulnerable ways you could possibly do that in the ancient world. She, she let down her hair and she caressed his feet. And the amazing thing about that passage is that Jesus just took it. Um, and what he was doing is that for the first time in human history, there was a person who never did anything wrong. Jesus never thought anything wrong. He never spoke anything wrong. He was always thinking about what was best for other people. He was always moving towards other people in love. And so he could actually receive worship and adoration from somebody in an intimacy. And it was right for him to do so. He was neither scared nor silent. And he comes to people like Mary and he says, bring me everything that you are. And oftentimes, if we think of bringing all of ourselves to another person we're just going to crush them because we think we're too much. And it's because we have crushed people because they can't handle it because they're not Jesus. But Jesus says, come. 
Jesus loves the broken and vulnerable, but he also loves people who have been so open with him that it makes religious types like really uncomfortable. You know, the, the Pharisee named Simon, uh, as he's watching this, he's like, you know, Jesus, if you knew what kind of woman this was, if you were an actual prophet, you would know that she is a sinful woman and you would not let her get near you. And Jesus says, Simon, I got something to tell you. Let's say, I'm going to translate it into our lingo. Let's say you owe me $100,000 and another person owes me $10 and I forgive the debt of both. Which is going to be more thankful? Which one of you is going to fall down at my feet and say, I can't believe you're so merciful? Even you know how to answer that, Simon. And so Jesus, when he says that, he turns to Mary and he gets Simon to look at her and say, look, look at her. She is a picture of what it means to be a Christian. She is what I look like in the world. She is the type of person who understands my love. And it's so beautiful because in that moment, he's inviting, he's inviting Simon to come. Pharisaical Simon. Look, intimacy is tied to forgiveness. Every healthy relationship, every healthy marriage is rooted in forgiveness. There's no other way through life without hurting people and being hurt. And Jesus looks at people with broken paths and broken hearts and those who've been humbled by their own failure and sin and just simply says, come, I still want you. Come. Um, some of you in here know the power of forgiveness. Like when you've really hurt somebody, and you know it, and they know it, and they extend forgiveness to you, what happens? What is, it, what is it like being on the receiving end of that? You fall in love with them. It's like, a, you know, romantic love, agape love, Philadelphia love, all mixed into one. And the reason why is because that's how Jesus, that's, that's the gospel. And you embrace Christ as his bride. Uh, to put it another way, when that happens, you put on love. You put it on, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When you experience forgiveness and when you extend forgiveness. Because you are mimicking Christ in the world when you do that. That's what it means to prepare yourself, to ready yourself for heaven. To get ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's our call. So um, what this means is that if any, if any part of this is like, man, I hope something like that is true, what chapter 22 and verse 17 says, it says that the Spirit says to you, come, but also the bride says, the bride says to you now, come. Which means that your future self, Brian Hibbick says, your future self is saying, come. Come further up. Keep loving, keep forgiving, keep loving your enemy, keep loving your family, keep believing. To make it in this life as a witness of Jesus, you have to celebrate and you have to have intimacy with God. Um, if most of your approach to God feels like a drag, um, you, you need to meditate on Revelation 19 to the end of the book and just imagine what your future holds. It's true. 
Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you have destined us for uh, not just a happily ever after ending, but it's beyond what our imaginations can hold. And so, Lord, um, help us to learn from each other and also help us to learn and retrain us through the act of compassion and humility and forgiveness. Uh, but, but most of all, love, which, which binds, binds it all together. Um, it's like a covenant renewal act um, as a community. And so, Lord, we are your bride and we want to be ready to meet you face to face so that we may be found to enjoy it. Yeah, that's the big